Hey, this is James Cratch, Giants beat writer for the Star Ledger and NJ.com, and you are listening to JK, but seriously, real football injury talk. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Fantasy Football Injury Report, where we talk about all the latest injuries in the NFL, and more importantly, how they can be prevented. Uh, you are currently listening to week seven of the 2017 season, and uh, today Josh and I have a special guest uh, named James Cratch. He's the New York Giants beat writer for the Star Ledger, and he's going to give us a little insider knowledge on how the NFL works and what some of his interactions with the players are and his opinions on some of the health and safety issues that we have come across uh, to this point in the season. We're going to start off by talking about some injuries that, that happened, and a big one is uh, Carson Palmer, uh, the quarterback for Arizona. He broke his arm, and he's out for at least eight weeks. So I try to start off every episode by saying the exact same thing of who is out for the season this week. Um, and they said Carson Palmer is going to be out for eight weeks. I mean, there's only, what, 10 weeks left. So, I mean, even if he's eligible to come back, uh, there's a chance that he won't come back. But he broke his arm. Uh, Cardinals were playing in the London game this week against the Rams. And he just – he got he got sacked and he took a helmet to his non-throwing arm. So he released he released a pass and like almost tried to brace himself kind of or just put his arm up. But he got like a helmet right to his forearm kind of. Was it throwing arm? No, it was non-throwing. It arm. was the one he tried to brace himself on. Yeah, it looked like he broke it from the like the helmet hitting his arm, not oh. from falling on the ground because the guy like just tackled him and put him but his hand was like down by his chest kind of and the, the his his arm took most of the contact from the helmet itself um he threw an interception on the play almost got returned for a touchdown they lost 33 to nothing it was a all-around bad day for them he but, got he got up i thought he was gonna try to make a tackle yeah he got up and he walked off fine and um, i saw him shaking his arm a little bit yeah it didn't it wasn't like a disgusting displacement fracture or anything but um Obviously, it's going to – I think it requires surgery, so he's going to be out for um, pretty much the rest of the season. Um, they were struggling anyway, and it's just – it's another – they lost David Johnson week one, now Carson Palmer. Um, they got Adrian Peterson, but they're – Struggle city. Yeah, they're going to be – Giants might be able to beat them. No, I was going to say, <laughs> if uh, if he comes back in eight weeks, he would come back against the Giants week 16 in Glendale, Christmas Eve game. Uh that's going to be a matchup of two teams going nowhere. <laughs> I just think the Cardinals might not win another game this year. Like I, I sincerely think that's a possibility. They're well over. I mean, first off, Carson Palmer, this might be a career-ending injury. Yes, for him. they've said that today. I mean, he, he's been pretty bad, and I think yeah. this might be the end of the road for Carson. And the Cardinals, uh, that team, they need to kind of hard reset. They need to blow it up. Old team, uh, they tried to, you know, they had a great season two years ago. Tried to kind of bring the band back together for one last run. Didn't work last season. Not going to work this season. Uh, a lot of people think Bruce Arians will probably retire after the season. He's had some health issues. So uh, they're kind of trending toward, I think, a complete blow up in Arizona. High top ten pick, maybe even a top five pick. Uh, kind of secure their quarterback of the future. Because yeah. they kind of got beat out by the Chiefs, boxed out on the Mahomes thing uh, back in the spring. But, yeah, probably might be a – Career ender for Carson Palmer, probably a season ender, and I think the Cardinals are, are going to be kind of going nowhere here. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this Adrian Peterson thing works now that he has no quarterback, and this team is just kind of going in the wrong direction. Yeah. 
And so we're talking career ender, like not because of the injury itself, no, just because, because of, of the situation, his, his age. More yeah, so his age. I mean, he just—he's yeah. not a—he's not an effective quarterback anymore. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. So. I mean, there there were talks of him this being his last year, last year. Yeah, now, this so. year being his last year, regardless of injury. So now that uh, how long has he been in the league for? A long time, right? Two thousand four, I think he was number one pick. No, that uh, was the Eli year, two thousand three. The year three, before that, two or three. Yeah, yeah. Eli was 04, So yeah, he's we were, been in a we while. We were still young bucks in high school. With no, we were in, not even in high school. Seventh grade yeah, or something school. like that. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's been uh, fourteen, fifteen. Look, he's years. had a hell of a career. Yeah. Weird career. You remember he, he retired to get the hell out of Cincinnati. Tore up his knee. And tore up his knee. The, the Raiders twice. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, Bengals probably were going to win that game that year yeah. if he doesn't. Kimo von Olhoffen doesn't crash into his knee, so uh, he's had a good career. I think there's a, he's an argument maybe to kind of be in the Hall of Fame mix. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but you know, one of the rare guys, you know, number one overall pick, Heisman Trophy winner, who kind of panned out. But uh, it looks like this this might be the end for him. Yeah, agree. Sorry to hear that about Carson Palmer, but it seems like it was in the making, <laughs> uh, or the writing was on the wall, as yeah. they say. Yeah, it's a good one, Kev. There we go. Uh, so next injury up is Joe Thomas, uh, offensive tackle for Cleveland with an arm injury. Yeah, so this was, he tore he ended up tearing his tricep. Um, like these bicep tricep injuries are like the most harmless looking injuries you see, and that happens a lot to offensive and defensive linemen. They're just blocking people. And well, they're like, constantly in that pressing yeah motion. And it's basically he just like pressed out to like finish a block and he just went down. But the interesting thing with Joe Thomas is he has never missed a snap. In his, this is his 11th year in the league. He was the first round pick of the Browns, 2007, I think it was. So for 11 years, he's never missed a snap. So he holds the record in the NFL for the consecutive snaps played streak. So this was the first time he ever missed a snap. Impressive. So, and he's, he's, they're saying he's going to have surgery and he'll miss the rest, rest of the year. But like, I wonder what's the key to his longevity. He, I, I heard an interview with him when he set, he had a, he didn't set the record, but he reached 10,000 snaps, straight snaps. And they just, expert. So, <laughs> so <laughs> he was on a, I forget what show he's on, but they, they were doing an interview with him. And he's like, honestly, a lot of it is just luck, especially as an offensive lineman. That's he's what like, Kyle Terry said too. Like to not get rolled up on. And he was like the one, the one injury I did get, he's, he tore his or messed, sprained his MCL, and he did it in the second half of week of a Week 17 game one year. So he was like, uh, I was able to play on it. I needed, I was going to need surgery, but it was Week 17, so I was able to get it, and I didn't miss any time. He's like, if this happened Week 10, I would have, I would have missed a couple of weeks. So a lot of it's luck, but I mean, he was, he's been the Browns' only bright spot really in the last 10 years. That's I mean, sad when an offensive tackle is your only bright spot. Yeah, I mean, he was there now. He was, he, uh, everyone talks about how bad the Browns drafts have been in the last, he's probably the only, one of the only good picks that have actually panned out for the Browns in the last 15 years. So, um, and they're still defeated on the season. So I, I feel bad for him. He seems like a really good dude, but. Another injury that might not be a career ender in the sense of the severity of the injury, but this also might be the end of his career too. 32 years old, turned 33 next year, has already come out publicly and said, you know, he's had some memory issues. One year left on his contract, going to make $8.8 million next year, do a million-dollar roster bonus. There's always – every year it seems people talk about the Browns trading him. Yeah, because he's like their only piece yeah. to trade and then you uh, he, can get something for he, him. He's never wanted to leave Cleveland, but, I mean, look, the Browns, they're headed towards, I think, 0-16 – 
They're a mess. They're probably going to fire the coach, fire the front office, clean house again. And I, I think there's a very good chance that, you know, no dead money left uh, for the salary cap on him. They can kind of wipe him off the books. So it wouldn't shock me. He's going to the Hall of Fame. That's not in doubt. So it wouldn't shock me. And he's kind of he kind of alluded to this. He said he'll discuss it once he you know gets into the rehab into the offseason. But wouldn't shock me if, if Joe Thomas retires off of this just because the Browns are going nowhere. And it's sad he's such a great player who's never going to even make the playoffs, never even be competitive, really. I think maybe the Browns had one winning season with Hughes there. But uh, this is another injury that might end his career, not so much because of the injury, but just because of the circumstances. The timing of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next injury up is a pretty hard one to watch. Was uh, Mike Wallace, wide receiver for Baltimore, and he's in the concussion protocol. And yeah. for all these injuries, or most of them at least, we try to throw them up on the the blog post. So go over to headsandtails.org and uh, check out some of the YouTube videos, Twitter videos, whatever, wherever we could find them, we we post them. Yeah. So this this video is up. Um, it'll be it'll be on the blog post, but. This is now the same thing like we talked about last week with the it's concussion, concussion protocol, whatever it is. He left the game. He didn't come back. So regardless of if he's diagnosed with a concussion or what, what the situation may be, he left the game because of concussion protocol, didn't come back in. But um, the video of this – so he caught like a little – kind of like a slant pass and was running over the middle, and he got – he was low to the ground. He was going down. Yeah, he was close to going down, I think. Um, and Viking safety came in and – shoulder to head Sendejo. yeah he fumbled and so he the the striking thing about this is and this is like one of the worst case scenarios for the nfl is a play like this where he fumbles his helmet comes off and he's like on the field he's in that fencing position where yeah. he like is in, not in control of his like yeah yeah motor motor yeah well your your arms are limp and like you could tell that he's just out and that's like the worst case scenario for the nfl there's those pictures for um for fans so but the big the thing that we want to talk about, and Kev, you brought this up to me, the play itself wasn't – it's not a penalty in the NFL. No, I agree um, with that. At this point, he's a he's a runner. It, he wasn't a defenseless receiver. It wasn't right after he caught the ball. He was a runner. Um, so the, the contact to the head isn't a penalty. Um, whereas in college, that's a – this play would be considered a targeting penalty because – in college, the difference is it doesn't matter if you're a runner or you're not a runner, you're a defenseless receiver, you've established possession, whatever. If you get hit above the neck in that area, helmet to helmet, it's a penalty. And obviously, college, you have, have the ejection. But it kind of brings up the point is should the NFL lean towards um, a similar type of penalty such as college has? Um, like I said, right now, it's not a penalty. But – uh, it's a it's a tough play to watch, and I think this is a perfect example of a play that comes up as oh, it's a football play. You know, it's a football play. It's a football play. It, that should, that happens. The guys are so fast, but at the same time, it's um, I don't. I, we've talked about this all year. I, don't, I just don't know if that's an excuse. If it's it seems to be something you can legislate out of the game if you if you think. If, if if you can at, at yeah all. I mean I just watched the play again and like he was going down he was wrapped up the guy was spinning him down to the ground and yeah. he and Sendejo came in and just like finished yeah. him off well, that's kind of what we like but that's how they're I feel like that's how especially defensive back that's almost how they're taught I'm not I'm not saying they're not taught like that I'm just saying to me it's like just unnecessary yeah. like it, it wouldn't change the play at all other than the fact that this guy wouldn't be laying unconscious yeah. with his helmet flying off. Yeah, I I think it's something that could be looked into. Honestly, I think making a rule change from a sustainability to... point of view, like everyone's always on football and on the NFL for not being safe, and 
in this category, the NCAA is superior in, you know, trying to look out for the player's safety. Yeah. And, you know, there's usually a trickle-down effect that, like, NFL does it now, everyone else does it. But in my opinion, for sustainability, if you want to make the game safer and go on for generations, that's probably one yeah. way to do it. Yeah. I personally think the – I get the intent of the targeting rule, and it's it's a noble intent, but I just think the fact that, you know, you, you slow these games down so much, these reviews, and if you brought it to the NFL, you would have targeting penalties – and then you would have this massive appeals process yeah. during the week. You would have the NFL would be overloaded. It'd be controversial when when this one gets thrown out and this one doesn't. I personally have the opinion that if you see something that you think is egregious official, throw the guy out of the game. Like don't even do this targeting thing where well if you get targeting in the second half, you're gonna sit for the first half. No, yeah. just eject him, and then let the league go back and, and see, one of the issues. And I found is that NFL officials are way too hesitant, in my opinion, to eject guys. Like you literally have to commit felonious assault on the field to get ejected, yeah. and even then, it's like sixty forty. They're actually going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I go back to my first year I covered the Giants, the, the infamous Josh Norman Odell Beckham uh, game. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I mean, it, it was ridiculous that it was allowed to happen. They should have taken control of that in the pregame when they were joining each other and laid down the law. I mean, I remember Steelers Bengals game back in the day where Joey Porter got ejected in warm ups. Yeah. You know, they need to take control. Don't leave it in the hands of a video review that's going to slow the game down, which is already a concern to begin with. And then you're going to go to a league and an arbiter and the player association. You know, that's another thing. There's no players association in college football. You can kind of just say it is what it is and it's over. There's no appeals process. Yeah. No appeals saying, process. Yeah. And there has to be an appeals process in the in the league, and, and that'll be part of the collective bargaining agreement. So I don't think the NFL could just midstream say we're gonna have a targeting rule. I think it'd have to be potentially you know bargained and everything. So I think the NFL would be better off. Don't get the targeting rule. Just start ejecting guys. Yeah. And you know, look, it's it's gonna be a gradual process to kind of take these aspects of football out it's not going to happen overnight yeah we've it's it's one of the bigger things that we've talked about all year is the defenseless receiver thing um especially with safeties and safeties come out they get fined they complain about it um they make excuses uh, it's kind of like what we said the 15 yard penalty is all right that's great but it's really not a hindrance for anybody to change how they play you know it's it's one of the one of the bigger things we've said um if you throw guys out for defenseless receiver hits or helmet to helmet hits then it might start getting coached out a little bit, I think. But. All right, interesting. I like that. That was good conversation. A little different. Uh, okay, next uh, hit that we ha- or next injury that we have is Jay Cutler, quarterback from Miami, with a chest slash rib injury, cracked yeah. ribs, two to three weeks. Yeah, so he left the game. He got uh, sat hit. I guess he didn't get sacked. Got got hit in the chest. Uh, left the game. Matt Moore came in, came back, led him to victory. Uh, Dolphins fan. He, so it was the game was in Miami. Dolphins fans were cheering when he got hurt, which is like it's messed up. <laughs> it's a bad, but it's it, bad down there. <laughs> he wasn't playing very well. Um, so it came out today that he'll probably miss a couple weeks with a couple cracked cracked ribs. But that's funny. Oh. <laughs> with, uh, with a couple cracked ribs. So uh, Matt Matt Moore will play for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I think the Dolphins are the quietest four and two, probably. Ever, ever, because it's just how bad their offense is and how bad they've played. They've somehow managed to win, lose games looking terrible, win games looking terrible, and not really look good in any games, but still be four and two. So no bye week too. And yeah, and they don't have a bye. Adam week. Gase is, I think, already one of the top five or six coaches in the NFL. 
He is excellent. I think he's a guy who's going to win multiple Super Bowls in his career. He is a guy who the Eagles were hot. I mean, they wanted him you know, back when they made the coaching search. And, you know, give the Dolphins credit. A franchise that usually doesn't do things right. They went in. They, they zeroed in on Gase from the start. They convinced him not to go elsewhere. He took some other interviews. He never entertained anything else. They nailed him down. And I think this is a team that, look, they were 1-4 last year, made the playoffs. They might make the playoffs again this year. He made Tannehill look like a competent NFL quarterback. They have talent there. They've got a culture. I, I think that Adam Gase is a guy who's going to really have the Dolphins. At some point in the next couple of years, they're going to make a, as serious a push to beat the Patriots in the AFC East as we've seen in a long time. It'll be interesting to see if Matt Moore plays well the next couple weeks. They play on Thursday night this week. If he plays well the next two or three weeks in there, or if he wins two games and they're 6-2 and two if, if Gase trust to go back yeah. to color. Well, well, the thing about ribs is, I mean, it's a pain tolerance thing. So, I mean, as, as whenever Cutler's able to get back out there and put a flak jacket on and play through the pain, he's going to. So, in that sense, it says two or three weeks, but, you know, yeah. it might be a situation where after a long after a long week coming off Thursday Night Football, he's ready to roll. And I do think that Gase has a lot of trust in Cutler, and he's going to put Cutler back out there unless more comes and takes the Plays job really away. Well. Yeah. I've personally had some rib injuries that Cratch might remember, and they're no joke. I didn't even break any ribs, and they freaking killed. No, so, they are. I'm just saying in, yeah, in, it's in a the super league, painful injury. It's, it's a pain tolerance thing for the most part once they determine nothing more can happen. you got a flat jacket and everything. All right. Uh, next injury is Malik Hooker, safety for Indiana, torn ACL. And this one's kind of hard to watch, too. It's a little – Gross looking. Yeah, just gruesome one. This is so obviously Colts are another team that's struggling, but this uh Hooker was their first round pick for the from Ohio State safety. Um been one of their few bright spots. Uh he was trailing a wide receiver who had the ball basically trying to make a play and another wide receiver came across a f- came across and like blocked him, but is got his knee pretty good. It was one of those blocks where it was perfect timing where he took a step, his foot's in the ground. He got blocked and his knee just at the right time kind of goes yeah. the other way. So uh, the video of this play is on. Um, we'll we'll be up. I mean, it's. I it's guess a, it's definitely a clean hit. Yeah, I think. I mean, it it can it can be clean and effective. He like broke yeah. the guy free for yeah. sure. But. If, you, if you, I mean, the only people that really complained about it were the Chiefs or were for, were, the, were the Colts fans. But I guess they're more more biased than anything else. But it just looks it just looked more gruesome than anything else. But it's just an, another unfortunate one. So. A lot of the ACLs seem like you yeah. can't really prevent them. Yeah. It's just just is what it is. Um, okay, any other injuries before we move on? That's it. That's it from this week. All right, now we got updates and fines from week six. So uh, an update is uh, Luke Keekley, uh, linebacker for Carolina. He was inactive this week for the game against Chicago. Yeah. So this we had our long discussion about Keekley last. It's week. It's good to see that they're yeah. taking it seriously. So basically. Cliff notes, they played on Thursday. He got hurt, concussion protocol, whatever it was. Concussion, not a concussion. Schefter came out on Saturday, on Sunday, said he didn't have a concussion. Panthers came back out, said he was still in protocol, but they hadn't diagnosed him with a concussion yet. Um, and then this week, he didn't practice on Wednesday, and it said concussion protocol. And then Thursday and Friday, he they diagnosed him with a concussion. So it took him a full week for him for them to – 
get the terms to how they ever seemed fit. But so he didn't practice at all this week and he didn't play. Um, the interesting, and we, we hashed this out really last week, but so last year when he missed the last six games due to concussion, he was, he was, he cleared protocol and was able to come back after three weeks and the team held him out. Um, granted they were out of the playoffs and I think that had probably a little bit to do with it. Um, and the first time he had a concussion, he missed three weeks and he was cleared after two weeks. So the Panthers have been very cautious and slow bringing him back on with concussions in the past, which is a positive thing. Um, and it seems like they're one of the only teams to do this type of thing. But again, like we talked about last week, Keekley's like the poster boy for concussions and treatment of such in the NFL. So it'll just be interesting to see going forward how it kind of goes right. throughout the But rest now of the year. he's had three concussions in three years. And to be completely honest, I'm sure every single football player who plays in the NFL has had three concussions in three years. The The only difference is that Keekley's have been – Front and center. Front and center. Yeah. And maybe more severe, less severe, whatever. Uh, but part of me thinks that, like, if you look back to last week's post, you can see the hit that induced that concussion. Like, it really doesn't look like anything. Yeah. And a part of me thinks that he might be a bit of a head case. And that's coming from someone who almost died from playing with yeah. a concussion. So I feel like it's understandable to be concerned about your brain health and the current situation that the NFL is in with all these guys coming out with CTE and killing themselves and all that stuff. So that's got to be in the back of his head. Yeah. So, you know, it could be, I'm, I'm just kind of playing, not playing devil's advocate, but just throwing it out there being like, you know, I'm sure there's more to it than, yeah. than just, yeah, that's, we all, we, we said that last week too. Well, but. I would say this, look, when I first started covering the league in 2015, it was very common for a guy to get a concussion on Sunday, get through the protocol by Friday, play the next Sunday. That doesn't really happen anymore. If you get a concussion, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed, in most cases, to miss at least one game, yeah. and often it's two. Now, the, the thing of you know, how it took him a week to get out of concussion, the, and you know, they're weird. Yeah, you, you will have a situation where a guy, and what happens is basically – all right, he goes in the protocol, he's got a concussion, that's step one. The next step is physical activity. So when you see a guy who has a concussion, he's still in protocol, he's on the field, you know, he's jogging with the trainers, that's a good step. But a lot of times the guy will come out and he looks like he's progressing, and he'll be back inside the next day. Because he, he got symptoms. He yeah. got symptoms. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It, I can remember Giants had, had an offensive lineman who had a concussion, missed a game, cleared protocol, ready to roll, practiced, wakes up Sunday, symptoms, yeah. misses the game. Giants going on the bye week, comes back on the bye week, still symptoms, misses another game. I mean, it's it's very weird. And I will say with, with Keekly, I think that you're right, that they, they, they kind of do take it slow with him given his past. But there is there are independent neurologists, there are doctors involved. So I don't think it's a situation where – if he's not out there and he's not doing physical activity, he's exhibiting something that leads him to believe that he still has a concussion. Yeah. And I, I think that you're going to see this going forward as used to be a concussion would be no games missed. Now and then it became kind of one game missed. It's really become a point where it's pretty much two or three games missed at least. Yeah. And I really think the NFL needs to create some sort of 
temporary IR designation where players who have a concussion can be put on a reserve list just because you're asking teams to play roster puzzle where, okay, I mean, the Giants had it uh, this preseason. Keenan Robinson, linebacker, suffers a concussion, missed about two weeks, comes back, one day something happened, back in it, misses the first two games of the regular season. It's tough for the Giants, but you're sitting there saying, okay, we're going to have this guy back. We need him on the roster, but we also need a roster spot. Are we going to have to put this guy on IR? And even though he was going to be back after two weeks, we got to let him sit there for eight. So I think the NFL needs to come, and I think they're working toward this, and I think it's something you might see coming this year after the owners' meeting in the spring, create some sort of designation where a team can put a player on a temporary IR with a concussion but you need to make sure the rules work so teams aren't stashing guys. Yeah. Oh, you got a concussion, boom, the IR. Yeah. And try and like, to and like pretending like they have concussions yeah. so you well, can put them on. Pretending IR. they have concussions or putting them on IR and then kind of oh you're there well you know we're gonna put you on full term IR I mean because I, I could definitely see it being a situation where a young guy who's not gonna play that year and they prefer to stash him. He gets a concussion, and they can go put him, we'll put him on IR, yeah. and then they're going to kind of look the other way, and, oh, no, we're going to ramp it up to real IR now. So I think that's something that league definitely has to work with. But I do think they're making progress because it used to be a guy would get a concussion, and he basically would be back the next week. Now he's at least missing one, usually two games. All right. That was another good insight from, from our, our beat writer. Okay, so now we got Mike Mitchell's hit uh, safety for Pittsburgh. He was fined $9,000, normal roughing the passer fine uh, for his hit on Alex Smith. However, uh, he was also fined $45,000 for a different hit in the Kansas City game, which we will have on the the blog post uh, for this week. Yeah, so, I mean, this was just a story because it came out that he got fined $45,000 when when it came out because everyone everyone saw the hit on Alex Smith. We talked about it last week. It was it was a pretty big deal. Um, so when it came out that he got fined $45,000, everyone assumed that it was because of that hit. It actually wasn't. He had a different hit that wasn't pen, that wasn't flagged. Have yourself a day, wa- dude. Wasn't penalized. Um, and he's been fined for hits before, so this is like the – the progression. Yeah, it's a progression fine. So um, obviously that hits that hits on there. It's another one where he's wrapped up and he comes in and finishes him off, but he finishes him off in his helmet with a helmet. Um, and West, the Sharkandrick West, the guy that hit, left the game with a concussion, didn't play last week. So um, this is one of the, one one of those things. Um, the other fine we have, the other hit we talked about last week was the block from uh, Laquan Treadwell, the Vikings wide receiver. Um, he was fined twenty twenty four thousand dollars. The typical unnecessary roughness fine that, that, that you see. So basically what I found is with these fines, um, with the set amounts, is if it's flagged, and I think if the NFL views it as a justified flag, they'll get fined, like if the flag was correct. Um, they'll get fined regardless if it's not a penalty. But if they don't get fined, so if you get a roughing the passer penalty and it's not fined, I get the sense that they think it probably could could have not been called same thing with the helmet to helmets like if you're getting a defenseless receiver penalty and it's not getting fined it's pretty borderline that it should have even been flagged in the first place right that's it's like they're that's the impression that i've been getting from they can kind of backpedal from seeing from seeing the plays and then seeing all the corresponding fines so all right uh this one's my 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 dude von Vontez perfect yeah Uh, 
this guy, he just can't freaking figure it out, huh? Well, he definitely has anger problems, that's that's for sure. <laughs> and you, when you, when they play the Steelers, it's going to be even worse. So, I mean, I don't think he's ever had a game against the Steelers without an incident. But I, I read a report right before I came over here that he wasn't going to get suspended for this, but I don't know. We'll he see. kicked the guy in the face. He, and he didn't get penalized for this either. So there was no penalty on this play. But uh, the the play on uh, this one will be up to yeah he he, he kicked the, he kicked the guy in the face um, obviously he got helmets on and then he like pointed that it yeah, was his fault yeah like, it's just I mean I would be surprised I don't know if he'll get fined or I don't know if he gets suspended I would assume he'll definitely get fined but it's we'll come back next week and we'll uh, take a peek I'll let you know what happens right. but this I mean he like he can't stay out of his own way we've talked about him many already this is week seven so we've done is there seventh episode or eighth episode and how many times have we how many weeks have we talked about him and he was suspended for the first three games so he's only played four games this season right they've had a bye he's only played three games yeah I think there's like one week we didn't yeah. talk about yeah. him there's yeah. more weeks that we talk about Vontez Burfitt than when we don't and I'm not picking on him but he he does things that uh, when we discuss these things, he has a play that he makes always comes up in discussion. Yep. So it's not uh, a coincidence. I know. That's all I'm going to say. Repeat offender. Yeah, well, I'm interested to see what happens with that and then also uh, what's to come for the rest of the season for that guy. I'll bet you we'll talk about him again. So Multiple times. <laughs> if, if the trend's going the same direction. Uh, okay. Now we're going to start our view from inside the NFL locker room with uh, with James Cratch. Uh, the beat writer for the Star Ledger covers the New York Giants. Um, so just some some general. Yeah, basically, I, I like we've talked about a lot of stuff this year and things that we've seen and how maybe I viewed the NFL differently and just being a fan from the couch that I am, how my views of the NFL have changed um, or things that I've noticed this year. Um, so I kind of want to get your opinion on some of these things yeah, just, sure. just just things that we've talked about all all year um the first overall is just a general player safety um and this is so obviously this is why kevin and i started the podcast um we we brought we told the story but we went to the Rutgers washington game the first week of college football and we, it was just the two of us and we were just talking about football and talking about the game and talking about injuries and we we're like like we should do this every week just on things that we see and how, how you can make the game safer. Cause I, I told him, I was like, oh, listen, I've been an NFL fan my whole life, but something's changed within the past three, four years with me just as a fan watching the games. It's, I don't want to say I'm not a, I'm probably slightly less of a fan now, to be honest. And I think a lot of it is injuries and a lot of it is how NFL tries to PR spin, in my opinion, a lot of things that they're doing from a safety standpoint. But uh, some of the topics that we've talked about this year, um, Thursday night games. What is your opinion on Thursday night games in terms of player safety um, and I just, just just in general? Because from an outside perspective – Recovery it, time. Yeah, it, 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 it seems I mean, like they're, it's, they're, it's a money grab. But. They're atrocious. They're, it's bad football. It's – you know they've got to have the system where you got to see every team, so you're seeing a lot of bad games. The players don't like them. The recovery is brutal. I, I think. Look, Thanksgiving. I I get that. That's a one-off thing. And look, I understand that you need to have Thursday night football because, and I think the players realize this too. You know that money is going into the pot, which determines the cut, which determines the salary cap. So if Thursday night football goes away, 
Yeah. I mean, there's going to be less money in the pot, which means when they, when the CBA gets done again, the cap's not going to – I mean, we got the cap going up $10 million every year. Yeah. Salaries are exploding. Yeah. I mean, they are making money off Thursday Night It's football. still growing, too. I mean, the first year it went from just NFL Network to now it's on six games or on CBS. They're streaming them on Amazon Prime now and Twitter last year. So, I mean, they're, it's, it's gaining oh. revenue every year, regardless of how, what the product is. I mean, look, I, I think we're building towards an oversaturation point with the NFL at some point. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like Thursday Night Football. It, it's a pain, I think. But I do think there are ways to keep Thursday Night Football and, and make this more player safety. Yeah. Uh, player friendly. I mean, for instance, I think a, a very obvious choice would be you're going to create a system where it's a trade-off. The ideal situation is Thursday Night Football game features two teams that are coming out of a bye week. Yeah, this is one thing that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, we mentioned we, that. we brought this up with the CFL. So the CFL, a couple of weeks ago, eliminated all padded practices during the season. So there's okay. no more hitting during during the season. And they increased it to three buys. They Each team has three buys. So if you can extend the season by a week in the NFL somehow and give every team two buys during the season, you can figure it out. So regardless of who plays on Thursday night, you can do it, whether they have Definitely. a bye the next week or whether they're coming off a bye. You can definitely do it. I think that's something that's been discussed. The two buys, uh, you know, I I don't think we're ever going to get to 17 games, 18 games. I don't think that's ever happened. The two buy situation. I think another thing is if if you can't make that work, you come to the players and say, look, yes, there's going to be a week where you got to play Sunday and you got to play Thursday. We're going to then give you a buy your bye week after Thursday night football. Then you're basically talking about three weeks off. Yeah, then you get a double buy. A double buy almost. Yeah. I think players would take that. But I, look, it is bad. It's not safe. But I think it's it's a money making thing. I think players get that. But they need to find some way to tamp it down. I think go the double buy system. Give teams a buy coming out of it. Do something. It can be made safer. Definitely. Um, another thing that we've talked about a lot this year are, I mean, you touch on it, rec- recovery specifically to Thursday night game, but um, practice times. The less the less practice, less hitting during during practices, um, and how that kind of has a has had an effect on quality of play, especially at the beginning of the year. What do you? Yeah, I mean, I I think you see this in in training camp. There's a lot of coaches that it seems like they've designed their practices in the preseason so that guys don't get hurt. Yes, they're not coaching football. I think it's a major issue. And look, that's the blame for the players because the players. They collectively bargained they this system, this. Yes. and the owners, the owners basically said, "We don't care." I mean, yeah. foot, the football could be bad; it could be good. We're the NFL, and the games are going to get played. People are going to watch them. This but, is the system they've created, and a lot of times you'll hear players going, "You know, I wish we could hit tackle more in practice. I wish we could hit more. We need to hit more." And it's like your your union, like yeah. your union, made this happen. So yeah, I think it's definitely. I mean, the teams don't like. When the CFL says we're not going to have padded practice, we're not going to have tackling anymore, that sounds great. That's, in my opinion, kind of a PR spin too. Because yeah. it's not like the Giants are going out there and doing the Oklahoma drill every yeah. Thursday. <laughs> you know, they're not really doing much. They're not out there for more than two hours. So uh, it's kind of it, – it, it sounds good. And maybe things are different in Canada. But, I mean, it's not like the Giants are lighting it up and having a full-fledged scrimmage during the week. I mean, on Thursday they put their uppers on just to kind of get the fit, but it's a ma- quality of play is a major issue in the NFL. But like, who cares? Who, what stakeholders care about quality of play? Like, are fans still going to watch? 
like fantasy football owners obviously care about the quality of play for their freaking fantasy numbers, but like yeah, but those guys are still gonna watch no matter what. Uh, yeah, so like who cares? It's on the fringes, but I do think people care. Yeah, I think I, it's I, t- I think it's an oversaturation point too. Um, kind of kind of like I think it just I think it all feeds in. I think it's just I think all of these things have a small cumulative effect where a standalone it might not seem that bad, but when you put it together with all the other things, then eventually it's gonna get to a point where fans are going to turn off. Like, for whatever reason, like, okay, so let's say the Titans and the Texans are playing on Thursday Night Football. And remove the fact that both those teams are kind of, you know, AFC South contenders this year have exciting young quarterbacks, okay? If you don't have a fantasy guy in that game, and you're not a Titans fan, you're not a Texans fan, I think the NFL feels you might be less inclined to watch that game if, if it's a bad product. Recently, yes. Recently, I, I think I completely that. agree. And I, I think, think that – I think three years ago, no. No. Four years ago, five years ago, I think you no. watch no matter what. And I think for whatever reason, you know, I kind of go back to this phenomenon. You know, like the, the Mac games on Tuesday night on ESPN2, for whatever reason, people give those more benefit of the doubt because they're exciting. You know I mean, yeah, the, the pl- quality of play might be horrible, and, and you don't know these teams, but there's 60 points being scored on both sides. Yeah. When you're getting a 12-9 AFC South slugfest, you know, and, and I think it also comes back to quality of play, you know, your, your stars are getting hurt, especially your quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, we, you guys, I mean, you guys have told the injuries. I mean, every, every week. if you lose your quarterback, like, it's over. Right. It's done. And I think that, you know, that's, that's an issue too. But look, I, I think – my guess is that when when they go to the so what's going to end up happening is in the CBA when it, when they renegotiate it, I my guess is that you'll see some of this stuff come back. But the owners are smart because they're going to. I mean, the big thing that's coming up is marijuana. The owners don't care if the players smoke marijuana, but it's it's a bargaining chip for now. They're going to say, hey, yeah. you can have this and we get this. Give us another billion dollars, we'll let you guys smoke weed. I mean, yeah. you know, that's I'm sure you guys discussed it, but you know. Marijuana testing is nothing that's kind of blown out of proportion in the NFL. If you pass your, your one test in the offseason, you're good. They don't test you again. You know, one player one time said, This is not a drug test, it's an intelligence test. You just got to pass it once and you're good for a year. So I, I think, but you're going to see that be a bargaining chip. And, and unfortunately, the NFLPA is not a terribly strong union. And they're not going to be able to go have a, a, a long term strike just because I, I don't think their membership is going to be able to hold firm. You know, given the salary discrepancies they have, there's no NFL middle class anymore. There's the guys in the rookie contract, and there's the veterans that get the second contract and get big money. There's no one in between, and I think you're going to see those guys kind of continue to get exploited. Unfortunately, this is and this is uh, these are some of the bigger talking points that we want kind of want to sit down and talk about at the end of the year as like a kind of conclusion to everything that we've done and everything that we've seen. But um, from a couple of things that I've read about the CBA that was done back in 2012, it seemed like a couple of these things that the players really wanted. I mean, the owners who are much better businessmen, obviously, that's how, that's what that's what they do for a living, um, kind of duped the Players Association into thinking that these things that they were winning by doing some of these things. You know what I mean? Um, but I another one of the things that I read specifically this year, and it's gone this way in the past couple of years, is like you said, that NFL middle class it, this, the players on average are younger than they've ever been. There's more undrafted free agents now on NFL rosters than there've than there've ever been because of what they did to the rookie wage scale and the contracts they're making. It's a lot easier to get, keep an undrafted free agent to your roster, paying him peanuts, than paying a four or five year veteran who is vested in the NFL and and you need to pay him more, but who hey who's had some productivity and has time in the league. 
but at this point it's cheaper for them to keep these other guys. And I think that's had some effect on the quality of play also. And it was kind of an un- unintended co- consequence of the Players Association really pushing for this rookie wage so the, so the rookies weren't making – first-round rookies weren't making a shit ton of money anymore. Yeah, no, I, it's kind of completely changed the paradigm. And I think a lot of fans, they don't seem to get it for whatever reason. You know, like classic example, the running back position. Giants, why didn't the Giants sign Adrian Peterson? Why didn't sign, I mean, why would you? Like, granted, the Giants don't have any great shakes for running back, but why would you go sign a veteran and give him three, four, five million dollars a year when you can have some kid who's making six hundred and fifty, who's going to be just as effective? I think you're also seeing the beginning defensive tackle. I think is going to become to defense what running back is to offense. Look at a guy like Jonathan Hankins, you know, Nick Fairley before he, you know, he had his heart issue. These guys hit the market. They thought they were going to cash in. And it's become the point where, all right, if you're like a dominant run-stopping nose tackle, you're going to make money. But everyone else is just going to like – Same dude. Same dude. You know, the, the Giants, they draft the defensive tackle in the second round. He plays really well for them. They let that guy walk. They bring in another one. That's what they do. And I think you're seeing that there are certain positions. Look, quarterback's always going to be a premium position. Left tackle, pass, you know, pass rusher, you know, middle linebacker. But there, there are a lot of positions where it's just cycle guys in and out. No team can spend a tremendous amount of money in every position. You look around the NFL, every team has it. And you just got to think about your roster as a fan, whatever your team is. They have certain positions where they don't spend a lot of money. They try to go cheap. For the Giants, you know, uh, tight end has been one. Linebacker has been one. You know, defensive tackle. In the sense they're using a high-level draft asset, but they're not paying that guy the second contract. Every team has that. I mean, it's just kind of become a strategy now. And I think that, you know, fans need to realize that that's part of the strategy of building a roster. And I think a lot of fans need to realize that, you know, the Patriots are special and what they do is unique. No one else really does that. And everyone else is kind of in the middle and has to find their path forward. But you're right. I mean, basically what happened, I wasn't covering the NFL at the time, was the the Player Association basically told the leaders, like, all right, we're done. We, We need to go back to work. Get us the best deal possible. Yeah, that's not really good, executing yeah. from a position of strength. And I think they're they're the risk is they're going to get this position coming up where it's going to be everything's great if it's a lockout, a strike, whatever, you know. And then they're going to be like, okay, we got to go to work. It, it's July twentieth, and guys need paychecks. Figure it out. Figure it out now. Yeah. And then the owners are going to get them again. All right. Um. A cu- now a couple more. Uh. More so on the field stuff and you, you talked about concussions and concussion protocol and how you think it's been obviously steps in the right direction. And I think the NFL is doing a lot more. Um, the biggest thing that I think I've seen from an outside perspective, and I don't think we'll ever get to a point where NFL teams are being completely upfront with fans about, con- especially about concussions, but it just seems like there's a miss, there's a disconnect, uh, whether it's ignorance or whether it's on purpose between teams and Guys being in protocol with a concussion, without a concussion, it just it seems like there's still um, a gray area there, especially this year. It just seems like there's a lot of times where coaches are coming out and saying this guy's in protocol, but he doesn't actually have a concussion, and then he was never diagnosed with a concussion, and he's ended up practicing right away. It just seems like, uh, like I said, I don't know if we'll ever get past that where the fans will get a true insight into it. But like You have to understand something about NFL coaches. They purposely – and many of them, when they go up in the podium and say, I don't know anything about injury, 
They're not lying to you. They, they purposely structured their day so they can so, claim so ignorance. They don't. <laughs> it's like literally, I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone because they're literally going to go talk to someone the minute yeah. they come with the thing. Tomlin says that all the time. Exactly. The, the NFL, I believe, last year basically sent out a guideline saying they do not want head coaches discussing players in concussion protocol. So Giants head coach Ben McAdoo, any question you ask him, he just says he's in the protocol. That's all he says. Now, some coaches elaborate more, yeah. but it used to be, you know, my first year on the beat, Tom Coughlin would be like, you know, so-and-so ran, he did this, did that, he was going to go to that doctor tomorrow. We don't get that anymore. Yeah, I think that the NFL is kind of, their approach, I think, in many ways, is just that let's do the bare minimum, like, publicly about these concussions. This let's is... just back off. We don't want to look like we're pressuring. We don't want anything. Yeah. Because I really think that, you know, it is a very serious issue. Everyone involved is still kind of feeling their way forward on yeah. this. I think the NFL just said the easiest way to do it is to say, don't talk about it. That's kind of what we've talked about is, like, I, we just don't give the NFL the benefit of the doubt, especially with injuries and player safety stuff at all anymore. I just – I just just with everything – everything that they do just seems so reactionary. And it's it just seems like it's so just only geared at the public perception – that they're trying to do the best thing, not so, like, well, like we've talked about. It just seems like they want the public to think they're doing what's right more so than actually doing what's right for the player, regardless of how it sounds to the public. No, I agree. I think it's a it's a difficult situation for the NFL because I, I think that internally they've never admitted the NFL still has their doubts. Like, for instance, and you know more than I, I do about this, I saw the report that they think they've gotten to a point where they might have a test to detect CTE in living people. From what I understand, that would be a revolutionary thing because a lot of times with these guys, the issue is the depression, the yes. that stuff. They can treat that. They can kind of focus on that. You know, I, I think that there's also in talking to players, some players kind of has this approach of, okay, we know CTE exists, we know concussions are bad, but what does this mean long term? I think some players go, you know, for instance, when Frank Gifford died a couple of years ago, and it came out that he had CTE. Well, some people were like, all right, Frank Gifford was 86. He lived this great American life. He was, like, on golfing two weeks ago. So, like, if I go out at 86 with CTE, like, what, what's so the matter? Not so bad. Yeah, I'll and take I think, that. I think that's – I think that our generation is going to be kind of going forward, right? I played high school football for five – you know, four years, Pop Warner for one year. I don't think I ever had a concussion. I don't know for sure just because I think we're finding out that – like. We were there. We thought concussion was like your eyes are glassed over yeah. and you couldn't see straight. Well, maybe I had a mild concussion. If I pass away, you know, God willing, you know, like my grandfather at 91, I could have CTE. Like, I don't know. I, so, you know, kids who play soccer can have CTE, who wrestle, who play basketball, you know, bouncing. So I think a lot of players kind of – they don't – they're scared of it and they're worried of it, but but they kind of put it aside because, you know, they know what they're doing. But I think there is sort of this lingering doubt of, okay – like, what does this mean long term? And if we can treat it in living people and we detect it, then maybe this is going to eliminate that issue. You can, you know, kind of tailor that treatment to the people and, and prevent preventative care. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what we've talked about previously is that because there's still so much unknown about concussions themselves and CTE and why guys can live till they're 86 with CTE and really have no, seemingly no effects, then, you know, is this a problem? Like, that we need to worry about. I think the NFL, I mean, all these people who predict this kind of doom and gloom, like, end of the NFL someday, it could happen that way. 
I think it's also possible that, you know, we can get this test and it can work and if people can say, okay, wait a minute, maybe this can be managed, you know, maybe this or that. You know, I think the, the game is naturally going to get safer as people progress. I mean, to me, I, I, my biggest concern would be, you know, why do we have kindergartners running around tackling each other? You know, if, if I were, you know, football, you know, commissioner for a day, you know, I would say we're not going to have tackle football until – freshman you know year in high school then you're admitting that the game is not safe but is there a different effect for hitting for a kindergartner than hitting for That's a 16 year old 16 year old yeah i mean i, mean, game, I personally agree that there is but i'm just saying no like, i'm just saying the game in my opinion it's you're i don't know i wouldn't say it's not safe i i just think that i think there's degrees to it and i think that you know i look at other stuff. I just think that naturally we're going to kind of progress. And look, I might be wrong. It, rugby might take over because I, I think if you watch rugby, it seems to be. Uh, when I was in London, when the Giants played last year, I, I got to watch a rugby match. It's sort of the perfect blend of soccer and football, and I, I kind of don't understand why it hasn't taken off here. Maybe it will. You know, maybe maybe that will end up being soccer instead of soccer finally arriving for us. <laughs> it'll be rugby. But no, mm-hmm. I just think that's the NFL. And you're absolutely right, Josh. The NFL, they don't do anything out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. There's always an angle for the NFL. Yeah. And with all their, their, their theme weekends, I mean, yeah. even even with the national anthem stuff, not that we're going to touch on that. but Everything's reactionary. With everything's them. reactionary. Yeah. They don't think forward. They're no. not very well run and, that way. And for such a big, multi-billion dollar industry, for them not to be – like they have the ability to be leaders in these types of things and be progressive. On everything. But I think – I mean, personally, I just think they're scared. Like I think they're, they're, they're scared of – above public perception they're scared to take chances on this stuff but uh, warm water guys we've talked about that all right jim i got two more things for you okay um on the field the biggest thing that i've noticed this year while doing this podcast are not so much unnecessary roughness penalty plays but extra effort plays in your football sense that you've always been taught playing through the whistle um just your constant not letting up so much and watching football this year i you see it so much on every type of play that uh defenders come in and they finish guys off after they're already going down is there a way to coach and i think you see a lot of injuries this way is there a way to kind of coach some of this out i think it's there's a lot of we talked about the football mentality of not wanting to be picked out on film for not going hard to the whistle and it's it's that's your kind of football mentality but you see all the time where there's a running back on the ground or going to the ground and a safety comes in and is spearing him and making sure he's already down but that's kind of the way they've been taught um so do you see that at all is there any way to change it um just cuz to me that's the biggest it's a it's it's a safety thing that I ca- I think can be changed, but I think it needs to be changed from the ground up and really needs to be coached differently. I mean, right off the top of my head, I think that you could look into adopting a college rule of when you're down, you're down. Knee down rule. Knee down rule. Yes, we've talked. I think we just spoke about that last week. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a kind of a trickle down thing because if you watch old tape, and I know that people say that that was safer, and I think it's debatable whether you know the 50s and 60s were safer than now. You know, they tackled guys with the legs, and it was okay if they fell forward for an extra yard. Now you teach these kids to jack up, mm-hmm. to drive them back. I mean, I think they kind of contribute to that. If you're just if you're just 
tackling on the legs, and it's okay if the guy picks up an extra half yard because he falls forward. You don't need five guys flying in to push back. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think a, a lot, lot of times without even wrapping up, they just throw without, their body. They just use they use yeah. their body to throw their shoulders at people and hope they go down. You know, there's no form. I mean, you know, I think oftentimes you have guys get injured. A lot of defense backs, they, they don't want anything to do with a tackle. Yeah. You watch some of the film. Oh, you know, here comes LeGarrette Blunt. Like, I, I guess I got to put my my shoulder here. I wouldn't want to tackle that guy. Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's part of the things. But I, I I would think the knee down will be one. You know, and I think it's it's going to be a gradual progression up where we realize that, you know what maybe it's okay if a guy falls forward instead of you jacking him up, driving him back. Yeah, I think we were. Well, I just kind of thought of this, but like in making the game safer. I feel like there's a higher probability that it would be a higher scoring game in some ways because if these guys are getting the extra yard or if they're you know if they don't have to worry about a safety freaking ripping their head off you would think you, you, you would get, hope you there'd might be have less, guys less injuries less injuries superstars guys staying. making bigger plays and more plays and you're kind of spreading the field out and to me it could it could lead to a higher higher scoring game and possibly more exciting in that sense like when 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 you're at a game, do, do the fans get most excited? N- not necessarily when they see a big hit, but like when you score, score a touchdown, right? Yeah. So, I think that if you work to make the game safer and provide more opportunities to score, I think you might be able to negate not having those big time hits that some people might enjoy, you know, by making it a higher scoring game. No, definitely. I, I think th- there are ways to adjust. Like, I'm sure you guys discussed this, but I'm not a guy who says you got to outlaw the kickoff. I'm a guy who says let's find a way to amend the kickoff, and I, I don't really know how, but like turn it more into a punt or something, or create a situation where you know guys are lined up. They're not ten yards apart. They're they're right against each other. It's close contact. You know, blocking downfield. You have limited guys behind there. Why? Because there's 11 players on offense and defense. Does there have to be 11 players on the kickoff and kick return teams? It doesn't. And you also can create a situation where, like, 54 and 54. No, I I was going (laughs) to say, everyone on the field. I think an onside kick has to be an onside kick. Like, you can't, I'm not a guy who says, oh, we're going to put the ball on the 25 yard line and try to throw a pass and complete a 35 yard gain. No. But I, I do think you can create some sort of, you know, punt situation where it's a free kick. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know how you do this, but maybe you have, you know, five on five up front and then five on five in, in, in the back and and, they, and the, there's a referee on the line and they blow a whistle or, or like the, the kicking team can't move forward until the ball clears their head above them or something. You know, I don't know how that would be done. Yes. But I do think that, you know, this whole idea of, just get rid of kickoffs. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. I'm not a fan of, you know, like, for instance, 10-minute overtime. They said it was player safety. The dumbest idea ever. Either don't have overtime in the regular season or have sudden death or one or the other. I yeah. just think this whole idea of, oh, well, you, I kick a field goal. I mean, that's stupid. I personally would just do away with overtime in the regular season. If you tie, you tie. If you tie, you tie. I mean, this country, I don't know what our problem <laughs> is with ties. Like, it happens. And every year there's a tie in the NFL, and people flip out. I'm like, why? Well, that is why I don't watch soccer. There's a tie. The yeah, but it's also you get 0-0 zero, zero ties. You could get a 37-37 tie You get 37-37 tie. That's like the perfect tie. 37-37. <laughs> no, I'm just saying you can have a <laughs> tie like that. Ever. You can have – I mean, I just think 
it's part of the strategy of the game. It actually makes things more exciting. I think you if, should get double wins if it's 37-37. If there's a tie, then the, the playoff scenarios get funky at yeah. the end of the year. It, so I, I, that's my thing. Like I just think that a lot of times the NFL, you're right, they do things for PR moves. Yeah. And it's These just, are all very progressive ideas progressive that ideas. are – are in a sense risky for them, and they just want no part. To me, they just no. Want they no don't want any part. They just want to kind of muddle it because they think that it, they're just. And I think correctly, they, just, they can just kind of just weather the storm, you yeah. know. So people say something. I think they're very, very prideful, and they don't have in their minds them losing losing viewers for any reason, and their game becoming less popular. Like that thought doesn't exist to them. Which I think is false. Like I think there's many scenarios in which the NFL becomes less popular and loses viewers. But I think the the owners and the NFL as a business are right now is at the point where they think they can do whatever they want and the fans are still going to show up. Yeah, and I think not this has anything to do with player safety. It sort of does. I think the NFL their really big issue. I think going forward, it'll be a colossal mistake is if they actually are bold enough and, they, and they're convinced enough and confident enough that they do put a team in London in the next couple of years. That would be an unmitigated disaster. I've covered a game in London. Those The stadium is sold out. Those fans, they don't – I mean, they just they want to be there. They're happy to be there. They love fantasy football. Probably they getting drunk. Jersey, exactly. <laughs> the NFL would literally be like seventh fiddle in London. I mean, I went there. People cared more about the Premier League soccer matches, the Premier Rugby matches, the international rugby matches. I mean, every paper had two pages on a cricket match in Bangladesh, and they had yay much, you know, podcasts. It's not great radio, but they had like four <laughs> inches of a of a right up in the NFL game. But the NFL sees that it's sold out and thinks that they can See, do it. Exactly. Look, if you want to have eight it's... games there every year, fine. If you want to put the Pro Bowl there, fine. And, I, and part of the thing is the NFL will never admit this is that they say if they have a game on, you know, people complain why I don't football's on at 9.30 in U.S. If the game is on at 2.30 in England, it's on at like 8 p.m. in Beijing. That's what the NFL, they don't come out and say, but that's what they're thinking. That, well, putting a game in China would be a total logistical nightmare. Yes, for but, everybody involved. But, but if we, it's can, on... we can have a game that we now can put on TV in China. But I think that's going to be a big thing. I don't need a player safety concern. I mean, the flight's a flight. It's basically a West Coast flight. It's not that big of a deal. I think you can overcome it. But that, to me, would be their total arrogance. Because I truly believe if they went there, it would not work. And it would be it, once you go to London, it's very hard to, to retract that. back. Like, yeah, that was a really bad idea, and that's not something. I mean, that yes, the, NFL the Chargers does. moved to LA, and it's a disaster, and they're playing in a soccer stadium. At some point, in my opinion, no inside information, the NFL is going to find a way to backtrack on that. Yes. I don't think they're going to go back to San Diego, they're gonna but they're going to find some plot of land in between L.A. and San Diego, and they're going to be able to put them there, and they're going to be able to say, we're going to call them the San Diego Chargers again, and everyone's going to be happy. Yeah. But you can't put a team in London and say, like, you know, on second thought, let's put them back in Buffalo. Like, yeah. It doesn't really work that way. It's, but it's just something I could see the NFL, because of their hubris, doing. Like, we're exactly. the NFL. We can, we can do this. This, this is our progression, progressive thing, putting a team in London. But yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. All right, Jim, last thing I got for you. Okay. Um, I've just, just, I don't really care what the hell you have to say. Yeah, this is, this is more so just a personal question. I'm I've, kidding. I've heard a bunch of times from guys in sports media um, saying how they're 
fandom changes when at, when they're working for a team or working in mm-hmm. the industry. How has Jim? Yeah, I mean, you grew up as a huge Giant fan. Yeah. How, if at all, has your just being a fan of the NFL and specifically of the Giants changed? at all since you've got to cover them day to day be inside meet the players having have interaction with the coaching just see everything that goes on yeah I think I'm unique because you guys know I, I went away pretty far away to college so I was kind of removed from the whole thing the University of South Carolina for, for the four audience years go Cox I, mean, I was not watching these games really I mean they weren't on TV I, I was not a, I was very focused on but it, it, people don't believe me but it's truth when you have this kind of job, the the fan thing just kind of it just snaps off. I mean, it just and I and it's just because you see you see a lot of things that you don't see as a fan and like wieners. You, no, no, I mean you just <laughs> yeah, you kinda, dude, you saw them. I'm sure it's very frowned upon to be like a fanboy in your profession. Of, of course, unfortunately, there are. I mean, it just it is what it is. Especially with the bloggers that have exactly, started. but you know, it's, you won't get very far if you're a fanboy in sports. No, but I, I just think that yeah, I just I don't. I mean, for me, it's a job. Like, a lot of people have a lot of passion, and I appreciate their passion. I just don't share it. I mean, you know, I, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. I, I get my work done. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to wake up the next day. You know, for me, it's more exciting and fulfilling to attack, you know, covering the team the best way I can, informing the people that do love the team. That were like you at one point, basically. Exactly. Are now. Yeah, I, I yeah. just – it, it just kind of snaps off. I mean, look, I, I think most sports writers, you know, some sports writers, are like, they cover the NFL, but they're huge Yankee fans. I don't even have that function anymore. Yeah. I, I just, you know, it just doesn't really do that to me. I think college is a little bit different. You know, you paid a lot of money to go there. You've got a diploma. You're part of it. But even then, I mean, you know, I'm not going to be flipping out if South Carolina loses to Vanderbilt on Saturday. I'm just going to kind of go about my life. I, I think that. You know, it just it becomes a job, and I'm not saying that like a, it's a miserable thing. It just you know you just it becomes it doesn't define you. It seems like anymore. a very healthy lifestyle, to be honest. It is healthy. I mean, look, there's a lot of long <laughs> hours and everything, and, and, but it, it's a it's a wonderful job. I'm blessed to have it, but yeah, I just I don't really have the ability to get all riled up about the results of a game anymore. But and I think you you kind of see it. I mean, it, it's not very important in the grand scheme of things. And I, I think, and I know a lot of fans don't understand this, you know, the Giants are in a situation now where they're one. It's, I mean, the season's over. But, like, let's say they were three and four instead. You know, the Giants lose a game, and it's, you know, it's devastating, and it hurts their playoff chances, and, and it feels like the world's ending. And then someone else goes out and loses in the later games, and suddenly, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a big roller coaster yeah. where, you know, just when you think someone's done, they're not done. And when you think someone's ascending, they, they fall down. So, yeah, I, I just – it's just not in me anymore. I, I don't know. It, maybe you know, if I retired, you know, down the road, I mean, it would, I, I don't think I would ever, ever, you know, openly support, you know, a team like the Giants again. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just not in me. I, I think the NFL, you know, you can enjoy the NFL and, and find it very interesting and working in it. But, yeah, I just think that that, that fan thing, it, it, it's gone. I can see that. I think that has a little bit to do with, like, growing up, too, in general. Yeah, I think it definitely has a lot to do with growing I mean, it's just, you know, there, there's more important things in Once life. you're older than the people playing, it's like, eh, the dream's gone, you know? It's <laughs> yeah, like... I mean, like, when you're age 12, you should stop wearing a glove to the ballpark. <laughs> when you're, like, age 18, you can't wear someone else's jersey. And then, like, you know, by, like, you know, 28, 29, 30, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it is what it is. I get mean, a life, know. right? <laughs> it's not even get a life. It's just, you know, there's other things to do. And, yeah, I just... 
the fan it's out of me and you know I, you know it 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 just is so it's I don't not, think I don't think about it much. It's not unique. That's just that was why I was curious because yeah. it's just from hearing other people, just radio media guys. It seems like that's a very common thread. Yeah, I mean, I, of, I think it's everything. Of like the industry. if you, if you, if your job was, if you were like a huge fan of, I don't know, like politics, and you get a political report, it'd be the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, you kind of see that, you know. Really, like, once someone's an asshole to you, then you're like, wow. <laughs> no, it's I not even that. Cool. I mean, no, once you no, get inside, really. Yeah, it's not even that. I mean, the Giants have a perfectly fine locker room for the most part. But, no, it's just, you just kind of, I mean, you know, it's just, they're humans, you know. I think that's a big thing, too. Like, you know, people are all like, you're so-and-so. I mean, yeah, like, okay. Like, you know, a lot of times, like, when I go to speak to people are like, what's Odell like? And I'm like. He's a guy, you know. Yeah. I, you know, talk to him. I, you know, great hair. It does have great hair, but yeah, no, it's. Just, I, I just think that that's just something. That, you know, we're we're fortunate enough to have this job, and we kind of are behind the curtain a little bit. And uh, when you're behind the curtain, I think your your perspective changes no matter what the field is. Great, I can see that. All right, boys, let's wrap it up. I, I appreciate you coming on, uh, James, uh, for your your bye week, and you definitely added some some great insight to our collective thoughts for throughout the season and i'm excited to see what we what we finish up with thanks jim you got it guys thank you